right. That was pretty good. That sounded real good. All right. So anyway, Genesis chapter 36. And what do you do with a chapter that's pretty much nothing but names? All right. Well, most people, when they read through a chapter that's pretty much nothing but just genealogies, they just kind of get through it and you don't pay a whole lot of attention. Well, the problem with doing stuff like that, you know, everything that's in the Bible is there for a reason. And if you get lazy on a chapter like Genesis 36, you could turn into a Calvinist one of these days because you're not going to understand some things that are in the Bible. You might read about that verse in Romans that says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated and think that God hated an individual just because, you know, from the womb, just hated Esau just because that's what God wants. And then you might think, I wonder if God hates me that way too. And maybe I'm not one of the chosen. Maybe I'm not one of the elect. And if people would actually take the time to pay attention to all the Bible, they might actually be able to understand what that's all about. And so what we're going to look at today, we're going to go through this and we're going to see some details that are very important and it will help us in understanding why God hated Esau because it is stated in the Old Testament in Malachi and in Romans. It's quoting Malachi and it says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. And if we understand why God hated Esau, then we're going to be very less, we're going to be much less likely to become a Calvinist, you know, based on what we read in Romans 9. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Even if Calvinism was true, even if what they taught was true, it is completely wrong and inappropriate for them to try to use Roman 9 as proof of anything. They have no business doing that, and you, but you can't give them to admit it because that's kind of their go-to chapter. But let's go ahead, and we're not going to read through all these verses. We read through it, but we are going to kind of hit some highlights in here just to help you understand what this chapter is all about and what you do need to get from it. Because remember, these genealogies are showing us how all the nations got started. We've been seeing that throughout the book of Genesis and this was very relevant for the time when Israel was about to go into the promised land. That's when the Genesis through Deuteronomy was written, given these, this is the first book of Moses. So this stuff meant something to these people. And so notice in verse 1, it says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. It's mentioning that because the Edomites were a people during Moses' time when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt. In fact, they were a people that they had had some dealings with already while they were in the wilderness. And because of what took place when the children of Israel were in the wilderness with the Edoms, it kind of sealed the fate of the Edomites forever. One of the things, there's several things we're going to look at that happened with the Edomites that got them in major trouble with God. But one of those events was something that had just happened not long before the book of Genesis was written, and they got a curse on them because of that. So it makes sense that when the Bible's going through the story here, it's going to take some time to explain who the Edomites are and where they come from. So right here is what this chapter is, and says Esau, who is Edom, and remember Edom means red, it means red, and in Genesis 25, 29, you don't need to turn there, it says, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field and was faint, and Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint, therefore was his name called Edom, so he was called Edom because he sold his birthright for some red pottage, and that's kind of where he got his name from, and Edom Okay, so you have, and one thing you got to understand, there's a lot of hatred by the, mainly by the Edomites towards the Israelites. 
It was, ma- it was, it was mainly a one-sided hatred that we see. And I think a lot of it was just bitterness because of the fact that what was originally for Edom, Israel got, and I don't think they ever got over it. And just by their very name, it was a reminder of what they missed out on. I mean, they missed that land flowing with milk and honey for some red pottage. Think about that. The, the, just the regrets that they had. And, and Esau had some regrets. And he couldn't find any place of repentance, even though he thought, sought it carefully with tears. He wasn't able to find it. And so, in verse uh, 2, And Esau took his wives, the daughters of Canaan, Ada, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, and Olabama, the daughter of Anah, the daughter of Zibion the Hivite, and Bashemeth, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebajoth. And so this is why a lot of people say the Muslims are also from Esau, because Esau married one of Ishmael's daughters, and I don't know for sure about that. I really uh, don't think that's super important because at the end of the day, uh, and we'll talk about this at the end, it's not so much about the bloodline, it's about the works. It, remember that, especially today in this New Testament era that we are living in, it is not about the bloodlines, it is about the works. So I really don't care where people descend from. So we don't get caught up in the argument about the Jews and the Ashkenazi and all that kind of stuff. We really don't care about that because the Jews are the Jews in the synagogue of Satan because they deny that Jesus is the Christ and they believe in another Christ. Therefore, they are, you know, the synagogue of Satan. And it doesn't matter where they descend from, from physically. I don't care about that. It's about the works. So uh, notice, though, so in... Uh, well, let's go ahead and keep reading in verse 4. And Ada bare to life, uh, Esau, Eliphaz, and Bashmuth bare Reol, and Aholabama bare Jeush, and Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau, which were born unto him in the land of Canaan. And Esau took his wives, and his sons, and his daughters, and all the persons of his house, and his cattle, and all his beasts, and all his substance which he had gotten in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. Now, why, why did he leave his brother Jacob? For their riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus Esau dwelt Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. So notice that Esau was very blessed, wasn't he? Okay, was Esau blessed? He's got so much stuff. Him and Jacob are both blessed. They have so much that they can't even dwell together. The land can't handle all that these guys have. Esau, God is blessing him with children. God is blessing him in substance and cattle. We saw a couple chapters before when Jacob's trying to give him a present. He's like, hey, I'm good. I've got enough. But, you know, and he ended up taking it anyway. But Esau was very blessed. It's important that we understand that, that Esau was blessed by God. Now, not as much as Jacob. Jacob was favored over Esau, but Esau was blessed by God. And so he goes on, verses 9 through 12, and it's giving some, it's naming off a bunch of people. But notice in verse 12, it says, And Timnah was concubine to Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bare to Eliphaz Amalek. These were the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. So one of Esau's grandson, his name is Amalek, and Amalek is a very notable enemy that would be a constant problem for Israel. In fact, 
they had just done something when this was written. The Amalek had just done something very wicked and very dirty to Israel. And we'll talk about that later. But Amalek was the people that God told King Saul to utterly destroy. These are people that are from Esau or Edom. It was Agag that Saul spared. And then hundreds of years later, we see Haman, the Agagite, who tried killing all the Jews in the story of Esther. So can you see why these people kind of matter, why these names matter? These stories, they all kind of connect with each other. Think about it. If Saul takes care of Agag, there's no Haman the Agagite later. But he didn't utterly destroy them like they were supposed to. Amalek was supposed to be completely wiped out. They were a people that God hated. They were a people that were cursed by God. And they, they didn't represent all of the Edomites, but they were, uh, they were their own group that was, was a part of Edom that were, had an own, their own special curse from God. And so, you know, I kind of wonder myself if Haman, because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I want, you know, since it was Saul and it was Israel that made Amalek basically no longer powerful because Amalek was constantly, you know, strong and hurting Israel. But even though Saul didn't utterly destroy them, he did for the most part destroy them, didn't he? And so Haman, you got to wonder if maybe one of the reasons he hated Jews so much is they were the ones who destroyed his people hundreds of years ago. Now, the, he's, he's a descendant of a group that was once a powerful nation, but now he's in captivity, you know, just like everybody else is during that time. He's somebody that's risen to power. He's somebody that has some respectability like Mordecai, you know, who was a Jew during that time. But you can kind of see why there might have been some hostility there. Because one thing we see about the Edomites, they hated Israel. They always hated Israel. Always. And that was a very bad thing about them. So I think it's also interesting in the story how it mentions that Amalek was born of a concubine. And one thing you'll see a lot in the scriptures, not all the time, but a lot of times when it specifically mentions someone came from a concubine, it was somebody who caused a lot of trouble, like Ishmael. And it just shows how... You know, marriage is an important thing. And these children that would come from these relationships often were bad. Not always. Not always. Sometimes, because of God's grace, there were good people that came from them. But quite often, most of the time, it was bad people and bad stories came. I've never kept track of all the examples there are, but there are many examples of that one that was of a concubine. And But there were some that God used, too. So... If you were, uh, you know, born out of wedlock or something like that, listen, God can still bless you. You know, God can still use you. You know, but at the same time, I don't recommend having kids that way. That's a bad thing. You're getting off to a bad start. Thankfully, Jesus can fix that and take care of it. But anyway, so it goes on. And then when you get to verse 15, it starts mentioning all these dukes. Okay. Now, what's the significance of that? You know, because it's just duke this, duke that. But a duke is basically just a chief or a prince. It's just like another title of nobility. And the fact that there were this many dukes that were mentioned, it shows that they had become a great and a powerful people. These were, I mean, when you've got, you know, all these titles and things and princes, you know, that mean, that shows that, you know, you're somebody that has authority 
uh, that you know you have some kind of power, and therefore you have some type of government that's going on, and you know you're not just a bunch of savage barbarians and things like that. So the reason it's showing all this, it's just kind of showing just how Esau is multiplying greatly and how they are becoming very powerful and strong. And they were, in many ways, a great nation when it came to numbers uh, and, you know, and riches and things like that. And so go ahead and jump all the way down to um, verse 31. So it names off a bunch of names. you got more dukes and dukes, duke this, duke that. And it says, And these are the kings that reigned in the land of Edom before there reigned any king over the children of Israel. Okay, Now, while Israel... so. What I personally think we're seeing here from verses 1 to 31, we are pro- I think we're seeing a timeline, basically. It doesn't give us the amount of time, but it's a genealogy from the time of Esau to the time that they were currently in, just about to go into the promised land. So when you're thinking about this, uh, you know, as far as the timeline here, when it leaves off here, this is the time when they were about to cross over the Jordan River you know, when the walls of Jericho are about to fall, that's kind of the time that we're in. So think about this. While Israel's dwelling in tents, you know, like we see with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then it's during Jacob's time, day, that they all end up going to Egypt, and they're in Egypt for 400 years, aren't they? During that time in Egypt, they're in great bondage during that time, and then God had to deliver them. And then they come out of Egypt, they go in the wilderness, they're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God finally brings them into the promised land. But here's a question we've got to ask, what was going on with the Edomites during that time? During that time, they're growing, they're multiplying, they're doing just fine in their own land. So while God has chosen Israel, and while Israel are the people that God's going to use, they had a long period of time where pretty much nothing is happening. But Edom is growing and thriving, and that's why we see just all these names, all these dukes, all these princes. You know, how come Israel didn't have anything like that? Because they were in bondage for 400 years while they're multiplying and becoming a great nation. So that's what we're seeing right here. You know, when we get to the, you know, this, this part of chapter 36, as far as the timeline goes, we're actually, you know, hundreds of years later. So this was something, this didn't all happen in Esau's day. This is something that happened over time. And the book of Genesis is giving us the Genesis and the beginning of Edom and showing how they came to be. And it's naming off some of the notable people like Amalek. So anyway, it goes on, does a bunch more names. And while I can't, you know, say for sure, it is very likely that the kings that are mentioned, you know, said that I believe they probably went from the time of Esau to the time of Israel going to the promised land. But here's the thing. Go over to Romans chapter 9, though. So after seeing all this, so after seeing that the Edomites during Esau's day were so blessed and they were so rich that they couldn't even dwell in the land with Jacob because the land couldn't handle all of them. You know, is it safe to say that Esau, the man, was blessed? Was it safe to say, too, that the Edomites were blessed? Okay. Now, now think, in the book of Genesis... We don't see anything negative about the Edomites. We don't see them do anything bad, especially during the life of Esau. We don't see them doing anything bad. But yet, in the book of Romans, in chapter 9, verse 10, it says not only this, but when Rebekah 
also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, I'm not going to take time to go through Romans 9 to prove from Romans 9 that he's talking about nations there. I've done that at length before. I don't remember what sermon it was, but if anybody's interested, I could, I could find it. I'm not, I'm not going to take time to do this, but the real proof that this is talking about the nation is by looking up the passage he quoted. Now turn over to Malachi chapter 1. <clears throat> Malachi chapter 1 verse 2, it says, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, Wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau. Now look at this. And laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, We are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, They shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Now let me ask you, where in Genesis chapter 36, or where any, anywhere in Genesis, do we see any evidence of this happening at all? Of God laying their mountain desolate in a wilderness? Where do we see that? Where do, you know, why in the world would God have indignation on them as a people forever when literally the only thing we've seen Esau do is he sold his birthright and he hated his brother for a while and got over it. I mean, that's all we see Esau do. We see that Jacob ended up making up with Esau and got along with him just fine. You know, do we think Jacob was more forgiving than God was? Okay, so... It, there's no doubt from Romans 9 that he's talking about nations here, but this curse that came on them is something that came later, and the Bible tells us what it is. It's just these, uh, these stories, though, they're not told in great detail, really. They're quick stories in the Bible, and so they're ones that kind of get glossed over. They're not some of the more memorable stories, but these were key events that are important to understand if we're going to understand a lot of prophetic script passages of Scripture from the Old Testament. There's a lot of places in the Old Testament, where there's prophecies specifically against Edom. The book of Obadiah is all about Edom. It's a prophecy towards Edom. And so if we don't know the history of this nation, a lot of the Bible isn't going to make sense to us. And then we might read Romans 9 and think the Calvinists are right if we, if we don't understand these things. So we don't see any evidence of what God said happened to them in, in the book of Malachi happening anywhere in the book of Genesis. In fact, we see the opposite. We see them thriving. We see them growing. We see princes. We see, you know, them multiplying in cattle and everything. So what happened? What did they do that made God angry with them forever? Because the Bible tells us what they did. And it was way after Esau was dead and gone. Esau was not around, but these people... They, they, they were named after Esau. The Edomites as a people were chosen by God for destruction, unlike the people of Israel. Okay. Now you say, well, 
then that means you know God hated Esau. Not not said not Esau the person. Because here's the thing that you got to understand about that is you know God chose God chose from the beginning a people of faith, didn't he? And God chose a people for destruction. The people that God chose for destruction, according to Romans 9, are those who are of the flesh. The ones that God chose for salvation were those who are of faith. And so in Romans 9, we see the Apostle Paul putting the Jews in the category of Esau. Why? Because they were of the flesh and they were not of faith. Where the Apostle Paul puts those who were of faith, whether Jew or Gentile, he puts them with Israel. Okay, So what God did, God chose to name his people after Israel. God chose to name those who are of the flesh after Edom or Esau. And so, again, they just kind of got the title, just like all of us who are of faith, we're named for Abraham too, aren't we? So we see God doing that kind of thing. And God did, from the beginning, choose to, you know, have Esau be the ones that those people are named from. Why? Because, for one, Esau was the older of the two brothers, where it was always the younger that God went with. You know, and so uh, the fact, too, the way he just sold his birthright for nothing, you know, that's just kind of a great picture of the Jews in a lot of ways. We don't have time to go into all of that. But either way you look at it, though, Okay, Esau, I do believe I do believe Esau is going to be in heaven, just like many Jews are going to be in heaven. You know, and it's not because of their they were Jews in the flesh, it was because they were of faith. Okay? So here's what we need to know. This is it's important that you understand these facts. What happened with Edom? What made God angry with them? Because it will help you if you understand when you're reading the book of Malachi what God is talking about, what happened with Esau or Edom. It was something that happened long after Esau was dead. Now, we get this when it comes to Israel. So, for example, when we see God angry at Israel in the wilderness, nobody thinks Jacob, do they? We think we, we see Israel, and when it gets to that point, we think of him as a nation, don't we? And when God says, I'm angry at Israel, nobody's thinking God's angry at Jacob. But for some reason, when we see God talking about Esau in the book of Malachi, we think it's the person and not the nation. And it is. It's it's the nation. So you've got to get that in your head, too. We've got it figured out with Israel, but we don't with Esau because the Bible doesn't say as much about him. You know, because it, it's, it's, you know, it was more about the Jews. So first thing that Edom did that got them in trouble, look at Numbers chapter 20 and verse 14. So Israel's wandering in the wilderness now, and it says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel. Okay, Moses is being nice. Hey, we're your brother. Hey, we're, we're related. Thou knowest the travail that has befallen us. We're in a tough time right now, brother. How our fathers went down into Egypt. And we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us and our fathers. And when we cried unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the fields or through the vineyards. Neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed by thy borders. And Edom said unto him, Thou shalt not pass by me, lest I come out against thee with the sword. 
Okay, now why did they do this? They were being mean. They were cruel. There was no reason for them not to let them do that. Do you know later when God gives Israel the law, and that law that God gave them, the strange, if a stranger was passing through their land, they were allowed to grab ears of corn. If they were allowed to grab a piece of fruit from the tree, they were supposed to be accommodating to those who were passing through their land and take care of them and be good to them. They were not to oppress the stranger. God gave them a bunch of commands. Hey, don't you do to other people like other people did to you, specifically like the Edomites did to you. The Edomites are being cruel here. And it says, And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the highway. And if I and my cattle drink of thy water, then I will pay for it. I will only, without doing anything else, go through on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. And Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border. Wherefore, Israel turned away from him. Now, we don't have time to go into all the stories. But because of the way that they had to go, because of the way they had to go, it was very difficult on them. And it caused them to complain. Look at uh, Numbers 21.4. It says, And they journeyed from the Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. They have to go the hard way to get around Edom because Edom's not cooperating. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much of Israel died. You all know that story about the fiery serpents. You know why they were squawking? You know why they were complaining? Because it was very difficult the way they had to go, because the Edomites wouldn't let them go through their land. Now, the children of Israel shouldn't have complained. They should have trusted in God and let him take care of them. But either way, in a roundabout way, this event where many people in Israel died was you could partially blame the Edomites for that, just being mean, just being cruel. You know, some people are like that. You know, you could help that person out, but it's like, I don't want to. Just some people like to see others suffer. You know, just help, you know, be be kind, do this, inconvenience yourself a little bit. There's a great lesson to be learned there. God was very angry at them for it. And not only were they just not good to them, but we see they kind of kicked them while they were down, uh, look at what it says in um, Deuteronomy twenty-five, seventeen, And it says, Remember what Amalek did unto thee, by the way, when you were come forth out of Egypt. How he met thee, by the way, look at this, and smote the hindmost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee, when thou wast faint and weary, and feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. So that was pretty severe. So think about this. While they were down, while they were feeble, the Amalekites came and they smote the hindmost of them. You know what that means? They're getting the people that are the old those who are sick, those who are struggling. They're going after the weakest in the group. They're fighting dirty is what they're doing. And the thing is, the children of Israel were not a threat to them. They were not a threat to them, but they went and just in a mean, cruel way, went and hurt these people. Why? Just out of hate, because they hated them. 
I don't think they wanted that. They, they didn't want them in that land. I think they knew that land belonged to them. They knew that God had promised that to Israel and not them. And, you know, there's probably still some bitterness, too, by the fact their name was Edom. And here we are in this land that's not as good as that land that God's promised to them. And we're stuck here because of Esau and that stupid red pottage that he wanted so bad. But you know what? If we can't have it, we don't want them to have it either. And so here we have Israel during a difficult time, and then they're attacking him, fighting dirty. Look what it says in Amos chapter 1. In Amos chapter 1, in verse 11, it says, Thus saith the Lord, for three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did pursue his brother with the sword, and did cast off all pity, and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. And I believe that is a reference to what we just saw there uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 25. God's bringing a curse on Edom. This is hundreds of years later, okay, when, uh, there's, when uh, they're prophesying about the coming destruction of Israel in the northern kingdom. And during that time when the Assyrians came through, you know, Edom suffered greatly during that time. And that was God's judgment on them for their treatment of Israel through the years and specifically this event. And so God, God never forgot that. And God told Israel never to forget that. God wanted them wiped out because of what they had done it, uh, because of what they'd done. The Edomites also in Second Chronicles 21, in verse 5, we see they revolted against Israel during the time of Jehoram. It says in verse 5, Jehoram was 30 and 2 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 8 years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab. For he had the daughter of Ahab to wife. And he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Howbeit the Lord would not destroy the house of David because of the covenant that he had made with David. And he promised to give a light to him and to his sons forever. In his days... The Edomites revolted from under the dominion of Judah and made themselves a king. Then Jehoram went forth from the princes and all his chariots with them, and he rose up by night, and he smote the Edomites, which compassed him in, and the captains of the chariots. So the Edomites revolted under the hand of Judah unto this day. The, the same time also did Libna revolt from under his hand, because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. And I don't have time to go into all the history of everything that went on there, but the, during that time when the Edomites revolted, they did it during a vulnerable time in Israel's history, and they did it because they were vulnerable. The Edomites, they were, they were rarely the ones that would weaken Israel. It was usually, there was usually other stuff going on, but they were always just helping the enemy. They were always just there, ready to just kick Israel. When they were down, that's just, that's just kind of how they were. They, they fought dirty, you know, and, you know, they were kind of like, I, I, th I think a good way to illustrate what the Edomites were like, it would be like if, you know, you're walking through the city and some guy just, you know, beats up somebody really bad. The guy's laying there on the sidewalk and then you go by and then you take his wallet. Okay. Now, the guy that beat him up is really bad for doing that to him. But you're a scumbag for stealing his wallet because he's down and he can't do anything about it. That's how the Edomites were to Israel. They weren't always the ones that were beating up on them, but they were always the ones taking advantage of them 
when they were in a difficult situation. And so they were, they were very, they were very wicked for doing that. And in many ways, you could almost say that second person that comes along is more wicked. I mean, at least the one guy went after him when he was healthy and was able to fight back and stuff. You know, but then the slime bag that just comes along, you know, afterwards, just taking advantage of the situation. That was how the Edomites were. They took advantage of them when they were vulnerable, wandering in the wilderness while they're tired, while things are difficult. They were just constantly doing that with them. And God saw that kind of thing and hated it. And let me tell you something. You take advantage of people, God is going to be upset with you greatly. We should never take advantage of people. You see people in a tough time going through, you know, in a difficult situation in their life. That's not your opportunity to take advantage of them. You do that, you're like the Edomites. And, and that's wrong. And so, um, ver, uh, look, turn over Psalms 137. Now, in 2 Chronicles 21, um, during that time when all that was going on, where there was the revolt with the Edomites, Obadiah is mentioned uh, in that story. And so a lot of people place the book of Obadiah during that time, during the time of Ahab and Jehoram. But I believe that was, I, I, I know that was a different Obadiah, okay? Because um, we're gonna, I'm going to show you how the book of Obadiah was written after the Babylonian captivity. I'm convinced that uh, I'm convinced of that. A lot of people disagree with that, but that's okay. They can be wrong. But look at Psalms 137 and verse 7. I didn't put that one in my notes. Psalm 137 and verse 7. This is this is another uh, event that was really a significant event for Edom and for their future. But you know the Bible just doesn't say a whole lot about it, and so it's easy to just kind of skip over. It says in Psalm 137:7, "Remember, O Lord, the children of Edom." In the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it, even to the foundation thereof. O daughter of Babylon, who art thou, who art to be destroyed? Happy shall he be that rewardeth thee as thou hast served us. Happy shall he be that taketh and dasheth thy little ones against the stones. It's a pretty rough passage right there. Well, what's going on here? When it says, um, well, let's start in verse 1. I probably should have read a little more of this. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. This tells us when this psalm was written. This is when they were taken captive in Babylon. Okay? They're taken captive. They're by the rivers of Babylon. They're weeping, remembering Zion. Why? Because Jerusalem has been destroyed. It says, We hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof, for there they that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's songs in a strange land? So there's no doubt about when this psalm was written. And so notice when it's talking about uh, remembering the children who said, Raise it, raise it. Okay, He's saying to remember those who were cheering on the destruction of Jerusalem. Okay, This isn't the people who were destroying it. It was the people who were watching and they were cheering it on. Okay. That would be like that guy watching somebody beat up a guy in the street and he's just cheering it on. Okay. You're not doing it. Okay. But just the fact that you're sitting there watching it and enjoying it, you are a scumbag, aren't you? And so when Israel is being destroyed, the Edomites, they're not the ones doing the destroying, but they're cheering on the enemies of Israel, aren't they? 
They're encouraging them. And look what it says in Obadiah, in chapter 1, verse 10. It says, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldst not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day when he became a stranger, neither shouldst thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldst thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldst not have entered into the gate of my people and in the day of their calamity. Yea, thou shouldst not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. There they are picking the pocket of the guy who just got beat up. Neither shouldst thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those that did escape. Neither shouldst thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. Folks, there's no doubt this is talking about when the uh, Babylon came through. There's no doubt about this. So this is not the same Obadiah that we see in Second Chronicles. But they, listen, Edomites were so bad, they're cheering it on. When they come through... The Babylonians do their thing. The Edomites go in afterwards and like, let's go get the spoils. Let's go take from our brother. And then, not only that, people who are escaping, okay, they see what's going on in this battle, and without even Babylon making them do anything or making them help, what do they do? Hey, let's go and let's stand in the way, and if there's any people that escape, we'll kill them. Okay, now that's really dirty there, isn't it? That's cowardly. They were always doing the easy, cowardly thing, and it was always motivated by hatred for Israel. And so, I mean, right there, it was a very serious thing, and God saw them. Okay, God already had plans to take care of the Babylonians, didn't he, for what they did to Israel. And then God saw it. God saw it when the Edomites were cheering on the Babylonians. God saw it when they're cutting off those who would try to escape and killing them. God saw it when they ran in on their brother and they took anything that was left that the Babylonians didn't get. God saw how they took advantage of that situation and God hated them for it. And God said, you're done. You will be destroyed forever. So, Right there, I mean, these are some pretty good reasons for hating on Edom, wouldn't you say? But did Esau do any of this? No, Esau did none of this. But the people that you know his you know and he's, his name or their name comes from him, but it was these people that did that. And so I believe that God hated Esau mainly because of Esau's hatred for Israel, or Edom's hatred for Israel. Esau. The individual, he did have hate for Israel for a while, didn't he? But it didn't stay that way. He got over it, and he loved his brother. But it's clear that the people of Edom hated the people of Israel, and it ended up being their undoing. It, and it, it's a dangerous thing to hate on the people of God. Very dangerous thing. You need to love the people of God. God, If you don't love your brother, the Bible says you abide in death. And... I don't have time to get into all that, Pastor. I wish I wish I had time to, to talk some about that. But think about this. Who was it that just hated the Christians? 
It was the Jews, right? Now, think about this. During those major persecutions that took place, okay, at first it was mainly by the hands of the Jews in Jerusalem, but later it was by the hands of the Romans. Now, what do we see the Jews doing whenever Christians were being killed and hurt by the Romans? Cheering the Romans on. Is that not exactly what we see? I mean, throughout history, when Christians are being persecuted, the Jews have always been happy about it. The Jews have always celebrated. They might not always be the ones doing it, but you better believe they're cheering it on, and you better believe during the tribulation. When the kingdom of the Antichrist is going on, guess who's going to be singing their praises more than anybody of the Antichrist? It's going to be the synagogue of Satan doing that type of thing, cheering it on, while they're, while they're going after the Christians. Why? Because they hate us. They've always hated us. We don't see Christians ever celebrating the death of the Jews. I mean, Christians cry their eyes out at the thought of the Holocaust today. Okay? And even those of us who know the truth about Israel, we don't celebrate the Holocaust. We don't, we don't support the murdering of Jews. You know, we don't, we don't believe in that kind of thing. In fact, you know, when you read a lot of the stories about the Holocaust, it was often Christians hiding the Jews. You know, Christians helping them while they were down, going through a great, a lot of difficulty. But what do we always see the Jews doing whenever it's the Christians getting it? Funding the wars, doing all the things behind the scenes, kicking us while we're down. What do they do when we're down, you know, with all Gentiles, when we're down financially? They're the ones doing the predatory lending, taking advantage of people while they're down. I'm t- and folks... It's not about the bloodline. It's about the works. And let me tell you something. The modern day Jews are just like the Old Testament Edomites. They are just like them. And that is why the Apostle Paul associated them with the Edomites. They are the people upon whom the Lord hath indignation forever. They are the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. The people of the flesh, God chose them for destruction. It's those who are of faith that God chose for good, that God chose for salvation, those who are of faith. And so understand that there was a very good reason for the hatred of the Edomites. They hated God's people. And folks, we are God's people today. And those who hate us, those who are cruel to us, those who are evil to us, God hates them too. Just like, you know why? Because they're of Esau. They're of Esau, and they're going to get what's coming to them. And you know, and that's why we go ahead and we love our enemies. We bless them that curse us. We're going to do good to people. You know what? If for some reason they ever did do another Holocaust or something like that, did you know? I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't support that. I would try to stop that. And you know what? I'd even hide a Jew if I had to, because that's what you do. If they were going through, if they if they needed refuge in our country. We would be good for doing that to them. Now, that's not what they did for Israel. You know, that's not what the Edomites did for Israel. But we should do that kind of thing. We should be loving like that. And those who aren't, they are going to be in big trouble. And so I think this leaves, you know, no doubt, you know, why God hated Esau. And it's important that we understand these things in history. These are not well-known stories, you know, that, that, are, that are talked about that much. But they are the reasons for a lot of those prophecies we see and they are the reason that God laid their mountain and their heritage 
desolate. By the time Malachi was written, that had happened. By the time Malachi was written, that was after the Syrians and the Babylonians came through and did all the things that they did, and Edom got what was coming to them. Edom suffered greatly, and you know they never made a comeback. To this day, people don't even really know who, for sure who they are. A lot of people try to say they're the Muslims, but I, I don't know. Maybe they don't really exist, but they do spiritually, don't they? They do spirit. They, spiritually, they do exist and will always be around until the day Jesus comes back and destroys them. And so, anyway, with that, hopefully that'll help you understand more about why God hated Esau. It wasn't God picking on Esau and just saw him in the womb and said, you know what, I hate that baby right there. But God did choose to use him to name a people because God knew, you know, God knew what was going to happen with them. But it doesn't mean God didn't love Esau and that God wasn't good to Esau and God didn't bless Esau. God did. You know, so uh, anyway, with that, let's go ahead and dismiss word prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. Dear God, I pray you'll help us to just uh, take the time to pay attention to some of these rougher passages in the scriptures. Uh, Lord, help us to realize these details are there for a reason. And they'll just give us a deeper understanding of other places in your word. And I just pray, uh, Lord, that you will help us to... Uh, learn from this and just be kind to others. Help us not to take advantage of other people. If we see somebody that's down and struggling, Lord, that we'll use that as an opportunity to be a blessing instead of a way to just help ourselves. Help us not be like that. Help us not to be cruel. Help us to be good and help us to love our enemies. In your name we pray.